This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Cristiano Ronaldo, 550 million followers. All football clubs combined in the world are at like 200 million. So the individual is like so much more powerful than the brand. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to the channel. I'm Trent Russell, and today I am joined by a special guest, Florin aka SalesFlow. He's a director of sales and someone I follow on LinkedIn. He's a top voice, 44,000 followers. Florin, I know you're in the, the startup office today. Uh, you want to tell everyone what your office looks like and, and just that startup energy vibe? Yeah, 100%. So yeah, we're here in, in Toronto. It's a small little area called Liberty Village where a lot of tech companies are. Uh, so we have a bit of a co-working space. It's literally just six desks and some monitors right now. And there's some other companies around. Um, but it's super exciting. And it's actually going back full circle because I was the first salesperson at another company in the past called Lupio, where we started uh, in this, not this exact little space with six people, but in this building. So uh, it's like a super small world. And it's just nice for me to come back full circle. Man, I think that's a, that's a testament to you guys. I believe 60 X, the, the ARR at Lupio growing it from a few hundred thousand in recurring revenue to over 30 million. And I know you're pretty open talking about that story. So for all of those of you who are listening, who are SDRs, account executives, folks who want to get into tech sales, we're going to, we're going to try and learn as much as we can from Florin today. So why don't we start with that Lupio story? Um, what were some top lessons being the first sales hire at such a, a new young company like Lupio before anyone had ever heard of it? Yeah. And it's kind of funny, like playing it back because I feel like most people are very good at attributing success like to themselves and then failures like to like the team or other people. But I try to do the opposite where it, it's easy for me now to be like, oh, I was the genius that knew that three like employees that Lupio was going to be something big. And I don't think that's the reality at all. Like we were selling uh, RFP or request for proposal response software. So automating these documents that a lot of sales teams have to do. But quite frankly, like in the interview process, I had no idea that what RFPs were. The only thing that I, I did catch this vibe that these three founders, uh, and that was the whole company at the time, were, were good people. They were smart. They uh, had experience working for other like successful tech companies, although they weren't founders themselves before. So the, yeah, the only thing I could really attribute is I felt this really good vibe. And I think that's a lesson for people that you should follow managers more than worrying too much about like products um, and even things like the market necessarily, because realistically coming out of school, you're an SDR, like, are you really going to do a good market analysis <laughs> of whether this is 
uh, going to work or not, because the reality is not even VCs do a very good job at that. Um, so something to think about. A common question in the space we find ourselves in is, is folks looking to start at big mature companies with perhaps more robust training programs, bigger networks, higher pay, but perhaps lower equity upside and, and wearing less hats and, and maybe a bit more expendable. Whereas with your unique focus and, and you have such a, uh, an insightful perspective with the zero to 20 million ARR, especially in your LinkedIn bio and just your focus on building startups up, wearing more hats, the electric brick wall background setting and, and folks just doing multiple things. Talk about that dynamic as someone who's worked in these startups and when folks are looking for new opportunities, should they start at these big mature companies? Should they start at these startups or perhaps someone that starts at a big mature company and that wants to go to a startup? What are some insights we need to know? Yeah, and it's actually a very good question. And my answer is that it depends heavily on what you like uh, as a person. So I'm naturally a pretty uh, like competitive entrepreneurial type of person like I from grade nine when I was 14 I was selling newspapers door to door I was selling college like propane jobs in high school try to start a company in university that like failed quite miserably so I just indexed to what I liked quite a bit and I did work at a bank for a little bit of time in university that was one of the top banks in Canada and I I didn't really enjoy the corporate uh world too much. So coming out of school, I was like, okay, I want to work like in a startup scene. I want to start my a company one day. I'm young and I'm willing to take on this uh, risk. And for me, I, I did get lucky in the sense that it ended up working out quite well. And that propelled my career. Like I had five, six promotions in a six and a half year period. Obviously that led to me getting a ton of different opportunities in advising and uh, where I am today. But I would say it depends on you. Like if you want to play the, if you're less or more risk averse, I would go for a bigger company. I don't think it ever hurts to have like a sales force on your resume, for example, or even mid-sized companies now like the gongs of the world outreaches. That's always going to help you. But I just don't think that that type of world is meant for everybody. So it depends what you like. And, and if you think about it, being able to start at a fast growing tech company with a $70,000 a year on target earning right out of college, putting you in the top 5% of earners, you had a really unique post about this, talking about looping in your why with sales with, with also just the macro point. There's so much opportunity for those folks who are lucky enough to land a sales job. What is your why sales and why the tech industry? Yeah, so for a bit of background, so one, I come from, I'm Romanian, like my family is born in communism, it's the classic story, you leave a, like a terrible government and a country at the time to give your kids a, a better life, right? So that's like one context for me that I, I think was super important. And then the second one, like I went to business school, I wanted to uh, be the classic management consultant, investment banker, all that kind of stuff, because that's what business school pushes to you. And I had some stints and in internships in that, and I just like really didn't uh, enjoy it. And I was almost not ups like upset at business school, but I, they never shed the light of how great tech and, and sales could potentially be. And even if you look at a lot of jobs in these more or what would be considered lucrative industries, like 
a lot of people you're coming out of school and you're you're making the same amount of money as in as an SDR. Like there's so much opportunity yeah. to not just as an SDR, but throughout your career ladder, make so much money there and working significantly less hours than people like investment bankers. Like I know I have a ton of friends in finance right now, like killing themselves hundred hours a week and pretty much making the same amount of money that like an accounting executive makes. So I think that's a, a it's a path that I've been trying to shed light on for not just people in business school, but everywhere around the world to realize, like, if you end up looking at the average income in the U S in, in Canada, and then let's not even talk about like the full world at $70,000 a year, like you're uh, making a lot more than most of the world. What is your relationship with work-life balance being in the startup scene? Uh, it's, it's pretty good, I would say. So this also comes back from like me having a bit of a European upbringing where like in Europe, it's more like you, you don't, you work to live, right? You don't uh, live to work. That was just always like the way it was. And uh, even now I have like family in Italy, you have like siestas for a few hours a day. Sometimes you get jealous <laughs> that stuff, right? Uh, and also my founders at every company I've been at, work-life balance has been like a pretty big thing. Like we're not people that grind 12, 15 hours a day because we know that you, you're not that useful after like 12 to 15 hours. So we try to like be really efficient in the work that we do and still enjoy our lives. And that's always been how I was brought up uh, from a like European background. And uh, I'm, I'm quite like glad about that. I don't, I never want to be this guy that just like uh, talks about hustling 24 seven, nothing wrong with that. It's just not who I am. You got to be careful not to book any of those mid-afternoon demos after one of those siestas. <laughs> I don't take two hours. It's my fault. <laughs> I, I know sometimes in the office, we would go out and do barbecue occasionally. or We, we had this thing called Pasta Thursday and custom pasta. And all, all of us young SDRs, you would do it after one of those big lunches. And you're just, you're in the massage chair. You're chilling the rest of the afternoon. Not many calls are being made. 100%. Yeah, don't get me wrong. There are days where you just have to like put in the work and... At the end of the day, we didn't get to, you know, a nine-figure company by like chilling. So uh, it's it's it is a very like interesting balance to try to figure that out. Speaking of chilling, I think of the word cold, and a big part of your success, Florin, has been cold emailing. Um, we have a mutual friend, Chris Orlob, pclub.io, that I know you just launched a course on your cold email mastery. I happen to have my cold call course on it. And I, I think he's done a really interesting job selecting these different perceived thought leaders or practitioners, folks who, who really specialize in this unique skill. And you talk a lot about cold emailing and best practices. You had a really interesting post about a colleague of yours getting a response from a CEO. And it was just, P.S., I'm not a robot holding a, a whiteboard with a robot. Emails fit 150 characters less, that catchy first sentence. When you think about cold emailing and, and let's say you starting at the new company, what are some steps you're taking when constructing those emails to send the prospects? Yeah. And I actually think this is where a lot of people get it wrong. And even now that I'm advising a lot of companies, I don't even think founders really do this exercise well, but before even getting into copy or worrying about messaging, people actually need to get into the heads of their buyers and really understand like, what is their world? What do they do on a daily basis? What metrics are they evaluated on? And that's actually a hard lesson that I had to relearn at, at Barley because 
even my founder gave me some feedback at one point. He's like, Hey, like your email, like you have these frameworks, you have these structures, they obviously like work well, but you're actually like, do you fully understand what this persona does on a daily basis and what they're evaluated on? Because he's like, in my opinion, this messaging falls a little bit flat if you truly understand them. And that actually made me go back and I reached out to my network. I ended up interviewing like 10 to 15 different uh, HR leaders. I ended up reading like uh, part of a textbook on compensation to really understand the fundamentals before I even worried about crafting messaging, because that's what I think most people are missing and why like a lot of messaging falls flat. So As you- yeah, that's, as you read through the textbook and, and understanding the fundamentals, when, when you put yourself in the shoes of your buyer, h- how do you then use that insight to then start to craft your messaging? Is it just coming across as, hey, I'm, I'm more empathetic. I understand the challenges you face. Or also, hey, I'm a thought leader. I see what's ahead of the corner here, and this is what you need to be thinking about. What are some of those different dynamics that you're considering when using messaging not only written, but also verbal as well in meetings. Yeah. Well, I think the way that you resonate with buyers, so you need to build trust with them. And the way that you build trust is if you can articulate uh, their problem to them, either as good as they can or better. So that, like, that's what I'm doing when I'm reading the compensation textbook. I'm trying to understand how like they're doing certain processes right now manually and being able to uh, articulate that pain point to them so that they're like, whoa, this person actually understands my world. And then that's how you build trust. Uh, and that's what I think is missing. Everyone like focuses on open rates and reply rates, which I, I don't, think <laughs> not a vanity metric. Like they are important and you can do little hacks to improve them. But if you understand your buyer, like you're going to get more reply rates. That's just the way it is. And for those folks who are in sales today, actually applying yourself and in, in learning what you need to know. I, I read a Dr. Seuss quote this week and that it just stuck with me. And it says, the more you read, the more, you know, the more you learn, the more places you go. So as you think about the role of the modern sailor, especially solution selling, selling software, it's so important to actually do that self-development so that you can be differentiated as a thought leader. When you, made the course for P club floor. I'm just curious your thoughts behind it as someone that puts out so much free value, at at least I know for myself deciding, Hey, I'm going to make a course and in charge for my knowledge and understanding. I think it helps folks go deeper and and really apply themselves and invest in the knowledge. What, what was your reasoning to decide? I'm I'm going to make a course. Yeah. So and it's interesting too, because I also have these perceptions where I'm like, I don't want to be that guy that just like selling a course and, uh, one thing that I was very careful of doing was I'm never going to create uh, a post where someone pays for something if I don't feel like I actually really understand the topic. And a perfect example of this is, so I've been an account executive for three years uh, in the past. I feel like in that third year, I started to get pretty good. And now I took a break, went into SDR leadership for three years. And now I'm back into selling. I don't think quite candidly, I'm at a point yet where I'm good enough, where I'd be comfortable charging for a course. So this is not something that I'm just doing to like make money up front. It's like, I want to master something I've been prospecting for 10 years. I saw this as a great way to put all the learnings that I've had over the last 10 years into uh, a package and a video series, essentially, which I've never done before. 
where I think a lot of people can benefit. And Chris Orlob ended up uh, reaching out to me. And I think the reason that we ended up actually releasing it now in July, we've been working on this since uh, April, was because this year is not only one like very difficult, but with this transformation of like AI and this focus on automation, I think a lot of us are losing the the human touch and understanding like the fundamentals of copywriting of human psychology. So I wanted to incorporate that into a course and like really help people understand uh, how to how to break through the noise right now. What are some of those top of mind psychology slash copywriting principles that reps can be aware of to implement today? Yeah, so there's in the course, there's like the 10 laws of copywriting, which uh, I think like David Gearhart, actually, who's this uh, chief marketing officer at Drift for a time period. I don't know if he made them, but I learned those copywriting principles from him. And then what I did, I, I thought about, okay, how do you apply these to outbound uh, specifically? And there's a few psychological principles, which I think are super important. One is around telling a great story, which sounds like pretty simple, but I think one thing that people don't realize is the human brain is wired to learn concepts through stories. And it's one of the reasons why, like from early childhood, you, uh, you know, we all read like this, the standard books that all have some kind of lessons in them. When you think about religion, when you think about mythology, these are all concepts that are being explained to you very young through a story because that's how they stick. So the idea to me was, okay, how do you translate this? Because you don't have a ton of time to build character development, a beginning, middle, and end <laughs> in a cold email or in a cold call, right? So I tried to like bridge it essentially. Uh, and the way that we bridge that now bound is through like the current and future state. So uh, how do you paint a picture of the problem so that the prospect understands that you understand their world? And how do you uh, portray this vision of what the future is going to look like for them through a, a narrative. And that's actually part of my cold email framework and, and how I think about right, writing, uh, whether it's emails or, or LinkedIn messages. Another big one is around social proof, which uh, I know everybody keeps talking about a lot, but like, that's just the reality, right? We're more likely to uh, trust a complete stranger on a review website. Like if you go to Amazon <laughs> reviews, then you would be to trust a salesperson or sometimes even like your friends. So just making sure that you're incorporating like relevant social proof. So I think another thing people get wrong with social proof is that, oh, like if I work at a startup, I'm going to, or if I'm selling into a startup, I'm just going to drop like Coca-Cola as a, a case study or something like that, where it's like me and Coca-Cola have nothing in common in terms of the problems that we face on a day-to-day -day basis. So that's not relevant social proof. It's just social proof. So something to think about there. That's so funny. We, we made that mistake so often is in the message, Coca-Cola, Amazon, Microsoft, we, they, they're, they're our customers. Therefore you should work with us too. And then once you get a layer deeper and think about yourself in the shoes of that buyer, they have not at 10 million annual recurring revenue. They have nothing in common with a multi multi-billion dollar organization. And when you said the point around you need to be short, sweet, concise, telling a story. It, it, it led me to think about the sequencing and, and the cadences of outreach in cold outbound, because I know most reps today may be using an outreach or a sales loft or perhaps a HubSpot, something more manual. And they're doing a, a call, an email, a LinkedIn outreach, a 
post, what, whatever, sending a marketing note. How do you train your team to think about sequencing and messaging and just how often should you reach out? When should you stop? When should you start reaching out again? How many calls? How many emails? What are your thoughts? Yeah, sorry. I don't know if you cut out there for a bit or I did, but I think I understood the gist of your question. So like, how should you design a sequence? How many steps should you have? How do you break it all down? Is that accurate? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So this is interesting. I had a kind of like a spicy post, I think on Friday too, which got a ton of comments. <laughs> it's funny because there's always haters too in the comments. And I'm like, listen, you like, you can hate all you want. I'm, I post, I I'm in the trenches every day. I literally have a newsletter prospecting from the trenches. I'm just posting what works for me and based off of the data that I have. So if you don't like it, that's perfectly fine. I'm just going to continue doing what works. But I, so sequences, I, I'm very much, uh, I very much base my sequence design off of, you know, other people's, I think Sam Nelson's Goji sequence is the legendary one where I've tested hundreds, if not thousands of sequences, probably in like 10 years. And time and time again, that general sequence structure ter, uh, ends up working quite well. So I made a few modifications, but the, the main thing that I see from even getting outreach myself Almost nobody does like a full sequence that's multi-channel and like actually sticks to the appropriate frequency. Usually I'll get like three to four emails max from somebody. Most people don't even cold call uh, that send me emails. And even less, in my opinion, do like LinkedIn at the same time too. So I think in order to be literally in the top 10% of sellers, all you have to do is have 15 steps in a sequence. Actually make sure that you have... Um, it, it, I usually do six emails per sequence, two threads, uh, two first emails that are based off of my email framework, two bump up emails, and then two value add emails where I'm not asking for any ret anything in return. And it's not a case study. It's like an industry report or an article that I actually think this person can get value from. And a lot of the times not even from our own company blog or website. Uh, and then having what I call bursts, uh, where you have like essentially a LinkedIn message, a call and an email in the same day, actually within the same like hour or two to let the prospect know that you're there. The reason I, I think that works is because I actually see it work on myself. Like if someone calls me, uh, sends me an email and then sends me a LinkedIn message in an hour, I at least know they're there. And it goes <laughs> a little bit to this idea of, uh, brand, brand and name recognition. And I think we have a lot to learn from marketing and how we think about sequences. Um, so I, I rambled a bit there, but we can go deeper into different topics on sequences too. The the meta point that if you just have 15 steps and you're, you're constantly emailing and calling, you're at least going to put yourself in a position to gain the awareness of your prospect. And then of course, there's a lot of nuance with the messaging. Something I'm curious about, Florin, is, is you sell to comp leaders, HR department, but a lot of your LinkedIn post is more so in the trenches, sales, best practices. How do you think about LinkedIn as a tool? I, I know that you've shared a lot of commentary around best practices with LinkedIn sales navigator and the features. So using it to find prospects, but then balancing using, is it using it to build your own personal brand? So how do you think about it? Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up this topic because a lot of people actually reach out to me and they're like, oh, you, you're a social selling expert. 
Uh, can you even do workshops or all this kind of stuff? And one thing you'll notice from a lot of my content is I don't focus very heavily on social selling specifically because I'm not very great at social selling in my opinion. And one of the reasons I say that is because as you mentioned, my audience is largely sales based. If I worked for a sales uh, company or a sales like automation tool, I could leverage a lot of my LinkedIn to book meetings. But the reality is that I cannot do that for the HR persona. Not only do I not have people in my network that are in uh, HR on LinkedIn as much as I do in sales, but I'm not a thought leader. Like I don't know enough to go out there and like really start posting. In my opinion, I want to learn a bit more. So I've made the conscious decision that I'm going to stick to my, my personal brand is about sales. I don't really use social selling to sell to HR. The, what I do is I do have LinkedIn as uh, part of my sequence where uh, I have a few different messages that I would consider sending that we can get into. But that's the that's the main thing I want to kind of like just point out. So I'm not a social selling expert just because I post content on LinkedIn. It has to be relevant content for that persona to really leverage social selling well. When you think about these alternative communication channels to reach prospects, I've dabbled a bit in the LinkedIn voice message, where if, if you're a first connection and you have mobile, you can send a voice message on LinkedIn. Um, I, I've, I've researched using video a bit, but, but I haven't really committed or doubled down to that. Outside of calling and emailing, are there any alternative ways that you, that you think about communicating with prospects, trying to get their attention and set meetings? Yeah, so on LinkedIn, I've definitely experimented with the voice note as well. I think it's like it's pretty hit or miss in my from my experience, depending on the persona as well. Uh, video, I've definitely like leveraged in the past, and I've talked about. I think video is very good, but for me, it's not usually worth the time investment on a first step. For me, it's usually better once you've seen some kind of engagement, like opens or like clicks uh, in some of your messaging or you've talked to them on the phone or are part of a sales cycle now as an account executive, that's when I think you invest the time to go deeper into video. Uh, apart from that, the only other thing I've really experimented with was Twitter and specifically like tech founders who I tend to find are on Twitter more than other people, like just sometimes DMing them. I, I tend to find that that inbox is still a lot less noisy than LinkedIn or, or email for them. So, uh, a fair amount of success, at least having conversations with tech leaders on Twitter. Why did you decide to start posting on LinkedIn and build a personal brand? I think, so I, I started in 2015. So it's been, how many years has it been since I started posting? About eight that? years. Eight years, yeah. So uh, first of all, the lesson there is be consistent because I didn't just get like a following overnight. And I didn't actually become very intentional until uh, during COVID where I felt like I really had more time and everyone had more time to just like focus on other things. But I, I'm glad I did. I think one, it goes back to this point around the fact that like nobody understood in, in business school and even my parents coming from traditional backgrounds, like as engineers were like, why do you want to get into sales? It just seems like they had this image of a dirty car salesman kind of. And a lot of people still do. So I, I'm just trying to elevate the profession and show people that this is like a way to financial and personal freedom. And uh, there's so many people that I think would be so good at it. And you have so much to learn from sales and talking to different industries and different like executive buyers. How, how many roles do you know where you're talking to executives at like 22? 
right? <laughs> it's so funny. I, I remember showing up to so many meetings in early 20s. You're speaking with some mid-40s executive that's just on the ball, <laughs> leads the charge, and you're in there, and they're looking to you as the thought leader. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's very strange in many ways. And there's a lot of people, quite honestly, that I, I don't think are like ready to really talk to executives. And going back to like my experience from consulting and, and banking, if you actually think about it, the people that are prospecting and bringing in pipeline are, are the managing directors, the highest level people, right? It's just funny to me that tech somehow ended up like flipping that maybe because our ticket prices are like significantly lower than these like multi-million dollar deals. But the type of like skill set that you develop in your potentially like in your early 20s, I think is like insane, especially if you want to become an entrepreneur uh, and start your own business. There's really nothing like it. And the whole reason I'm posting is to shed light to it and because I'm truly passionate about sales. How do you think about a current tech sales stack today? So, for example, when I worked at my previous company, we relied on Salesforce as the CRM. Zoom Info was a tab I always had open all day to get the direct numbers. Outreach, I was in there a lot. Sales Navigator, of course, crucial. I actually just bought that on my own personal core because I thought it was so important to just finding prospects navigating. I really like Clary. As you think about moving downstream a bit, managing your pipeline, um, of course, we use Lupio. That was so helpful for a few RFPs. Um, and there's some other niche tools in there as well. What What do you view as is the mission critical tech stack for reps? Yeah, and obviously it depends on the stage of the company you're at. So with the lens of right now being like a seed stage company where budgets are <clears> obviously <throat> tight and you want to be efficient, the the keys are obviously the CRM. So we're using HubSpot right now, like obviously way cheaper than uh, Salesforce and more user-friendly and simple to use. Although I, I've used Salesforce myself for like eight years. Um, then you obviously the sequencer and like the data. So right now we've combined that. Uh, currently I'm using Apollo for the data of contacts and also sequencing. Uh, we, we do use Clary, but more like the, the co-pilot for call recordings right now. Uh, so I think that's also key just to not only like get coached and get feedback, but to send snippets to like product or engineering, like we always have threads going on in, on like call recordings to be like, oh, this is what you could have done. Or here's like what, why they wanted this and here's the context. So I think that's super important. The other thing I actually missed, I'm using Keyplay right now, which I really like. So I think half the battle before going into like contacts and finding people is what are the right accounts to reach out to? So Keyplay is a newer company that helps you like score accounts based off of different signals and algorithms. So it builds my target account list based off of certain attributes that I care about. I think that's something that a lot of people don't have in their stack. And you kind of go off this like gut feeling or you're running reports in your CRM to try to figure out like, what are, what are the similar attributes of accounts that we've won in the past? Uh, and oh, obviously, I didn't include LinkedIn Sales Navigator. I feel like that's almost a given these days. Like you, you must have that. <laughs> you had a spicy post. You had a spicy post, Florin. You talked about that in five years, the outbound SDR could could be replaced by sales tech. Sales tech that could that already can automate a lot of the sequencing messaging 
Um, you even shared a post that an AI call voice was able to set a meeting with a real human. I, I didn't listen to it, but that's super fascinating. How do you see the sales tech and, and AI bleeding into this world of outbound and, and generating pipeline? From your vantage point, what are you seeing and, and, and perhaps what are some predictions to come? Yeah. Yeah. Super relevant. I just wrote this uh, topic on, <laughs> on my newsletter for Sunday and uh, today, which is it's Monday. Now I just actually put this on, on LinkedIn and obviously have some, some thoughts. So I pretty much, I've kind of been obsessed with trying to think through like, what does the future hold? Because being, I'm always the type of leader that wants to be on the forefront of like understanding, um, like how can I make myself better? How can I, if there's something that I can automate, how do I do that? How do I, there used to be this idea that you would just hire like a ton of sales reps. And like, that was like kind of the end all be all. You want to have a hundred person sales organization and be this great leader. Well, now I've kind of shifted to how do we get to like a hundred million in ARR with like five reps and be super lean and super automated and like keep things very simple. So one thing I've realized talking with different uh, people now and getting demos from different tools is that a lot of the work that an SDR does on a daily basis is already beginning to get automated. The thing that we're missing now is like the context uh, or the very relevant messaging or even like ChatGPT, it doesn't spit out great emails yet, but it's like slowly and exponentially getting, not slowly, it's exponentially getting better. So when you look at, I don't know, have you heard of Clay, for example? No. So Clay is like a crazy uh, software and I, I'm not getting <laughs> paid by them or anything, but uh, somebody showed me recently, you could literally build out a full sequence automate all these steps and literally have a sequence that looks like it's fully relevant and personalized without you having to do doing anything. Uh, it's like kind of complicated to go into right now. I can like, we could link a video uh, of somebody building the sequence, but I saw it firsthand and I was like legitimately blown away. And I didn't realize we were that close to automation. Then you have, I shared that link of the AI. So a, an AI literally called uh, somebody on behalf of Tesla, like a real person and ended up booking a meeting. It's not a perfect call. There's like still quite a bit of like lag between the person and the, the AI, but like the, it worked. And the AI was responding in real time. It was relevant responses. And it like truly like makes you think a little bit like, holy shit. <laughs> if, if all this is getting automated in 2023, what in the world is going to happen within five years. So my prediction is that the entry level SDR role is going to be gone in roughly five years, specifically because I don't see anything as of now that that entry level person with no industry expertise cannot do or can do that AI can't do. I think outbound pipeline goes down almost to zero at some point. Reason being that imagine you have artificial intelligence that can send out perfectly timed emails or calls uh, right when you need something based off of like certain signals and triggers, what's going to happen? You're going to have literally a thousand perfect messages that are timely in your inbox. <laughs> it's like, it's going to be impossible for you as a human to consume. 
Um, so what ends up happening, in my opinion, there's three new forms of pipe, not three new forms, but these are the forms that I think are going to prevail. One, the content leader or thought leader that has a presence in that market. I think Lavender does a very good job at this. Lavender doesn't have any SDRs right now. They literally hired big time content creators that put out content that's relevant to their brand. And that's how they're building pipeline. I think that's the future in many ways where the individual is much stronger than the brand. And uh, even in my newsletter, I have this image. It's like Cristiano Ronaldo, 550 million followers. All football clubs combined in the world are at like 200 million. So the individual is like so much more powerful than the brand. And I think people are starting to realize that and, and leverage it more. So imagine instead of five SDRs, you have a content creator with 100,000 followers. That person, I can guarantee you, books significantly better, more warm, and ready to close deals than any outbound SDR ever can. Because they also have the context and understand the problem. <clears throat> Two, you have um, leveraging networks, not a new concept, but employee networks, founder networks, partner networks. We've been doing that already, but there's new platforms I'm seeing like Reveal, like Crossbeam, like Partner Stack that are making it easier now to upload lists of everyone in your network and see like cross reference target accounts to see how you can get introductions. Uh, and then the last one is the growth hacker. So like uh, this Eric guy who built this whole automated sequence in clay, I think that's the near term future. But again, going back to the point that there's going to be thousands of amazing emails coming out from all these different uh, sequencing tools. I think that also dies down before uh, anything else. So sorry, a lot there. You can tell I'm passionate about it, but we can dive deeper into any one of those. Man, those reps that are uh, commenting uh, hate messages on your LinkedIn post, they're in trouble. <laughs> 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 they're in big yeah. trouble. Um, so what what I'm hearing is, would you say LinkedIn is is really this 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 front, digital frontier? It's the single source of, okay, the thought leader, where are all the buyers at and where are they sharing the thought leadership? It's primarily LinkedIn. Of course, we talked about Twitter. It's a little bit different, but but LinkedIn is a real place. You can post thought leadership and get pipeline. When you think about using these tools to identify these commonalities in network, it seems like LinkedIn connections, or maybe there's some way of looking at past messages or communication to determine the, the stickiness or perhaps past experience, tenure at the same company together. Do you, do you view LinkedIn as, the, as this single source of, of most up-to-date data that's going to be where everyone's playing at and using in the future? Uh, kind of, but so uh, an important distinction there, I think like LinkedIn is going to be, uh, it's a source of data for like an account where the, uh, like who works there. And essentially, find, like the initial identification of the account and the, the prospect. But in, in the sense of like a thought leader that's, uh, that a company is going to hire to build pipeline, I think LinkedIn works very well if you're selling to like sales and, and marketing. But I think there's going to be the creator that you're going to hire off of Twitter that like is killing it in a certain niche. Or if you're an engineer, like selling into engineering leadership, Maybe like there's discords or like Slack groups where someone's a thought leader. So I don't think LinkedIn is the medium necessarily where you hire all content creators because right now, at least in my opinion, LinkedIn is skewing to sales and marketing thought leadership. And that's where that persona likes to hang out, but not every persona hangs out there. 
how important is it for the average employee to have a personal brand or not? Because I know some reps make an emphasis of putting themselves out there, trying to build a following. Some don't and just want to focus on their performance. What, what role do you see the personal brand playing in, uh, in someone's trajectory, trying to navigate their career? In my opinion, if you're interested in, if you're interested in build, building pipeline in the future, I think building a brand is one of the only ways that you're going to be able to leverage, uh, to benefit from that skill set essentially. But I don't think it's important for everyone. Like if you don't want to be in like a, a pipeline generating type of role, I don't think it's necessarily going to be uh, super useful for everyone. Or if you don't want to start like a side hustle or something. Um, if you, I know a lot of account executives right now. And I, by the way, I think consultative account executive positions are going to be around for a long time and might even be the way that companies are going to differentiate. Let's hypothetically say in 15 years, there's AEs that can uh, that are fully AI or robots. I actually think a differentiation is going to be that we're human centric, and you actually have a human on the other line that's going to talk to you. So I think that that type of role is going to be around, and I don't think you need a personal brand for that. As a matter of fact, the best AEs I know right now don't have a personal brand. But if you're trying to build pipeline, you better <laughs> consider a personal brand. <laughs> Well, what, what I want to end with Florin is, is you've built up your brand on LinkedIn, uh, 44,000 followers, which is really impressive. Um, the, the top voice and, and just doing it for eight years, the consistency, uh, why decide, why do an email newsletter? What was the thinking behind that? And what has your experience been trying to then convert that audience to loyal followers or fans that, that, that really want to get involved with you and follow your newsletter? Yeah, I think so. Obviously, I LinkedIn's been my my base. The one thing about LinkedIn is uh, you're limited to a certain uh, character count, right? It's pretty long, but it's still a little bit limited. So one thing I realized with the newsletter and why I wanted to develop uh, it was it let me like really build out my thoughts uh, and explain what I'm thinking in without any limitation. And that's really why I started to do it. And I've been getting really good feedback uh, on that. And there's like the, the saying, writing is thinking. And for me, when I write things down, it really solidifies my thoughts and lets me compartmentalize everything. Like even right now, I feel like I, I'm, I'm going off like quite a bit. But if I sat down and wrote all these thoughts down, I'd be able to structure it in different um, sections and really understand it better, right? Than this free form, like just regurgitation of content. So that's why I do it one for myself and two for, for, so people can see my full thoughts laid out. Well, you're doing something right because your LinkedIn posts, almost all of them are certified bangers and, and get a ton of, a ton of engagement and, and folks really seem to be liking what you're sharing. So for those of you that resonated with what Florin had to share here today, you can go to LinkedIn and just type in Florin. You'll find them. You'll see his newsletter. And if you're interested in learning more about his cold, cold email and copywriting principles and cold calling from me, you can visit pclub.io and, and we have some courses on there and some other great ones as well. Florin, thanks so much for being here today. Yeah, thanks, Trent. I really appreciate it.